Hello, I'm Robin Gallagher and welcome to Ripples. Throughout our program, a series of guest speakers will share words of wisdom from their life experience and we will offer you a series of meditations so that you can take some time just to stop and listen to that voice within, that voice of the Spirit. So come and enjoy some inspired voices and treasured stillness and allow the ripple effect to begin. I welcome Paul Field back to our program today as part of our special Are You OK Day program. In the first episode, Paul expressed the value and impact of family and friends who have connected with him at defining moments throughout his life. In this second episode, Paul shares the story of his time as the manager of the Wiggles and his newly emerging solo music career. He delves more deeply into some of the barriers in asking, Are you okay? And he shares some of the life giving ways he has learnt to connect with people in his own life. Paul's story is a moving and authentic one that reminds us all of the value of connection and community and of pursuing those things in life that bring us joy. Paul, I really hear through your story that you've met people along the way who've really met you and have really walked with you and have had a profound impact not only in that moment but on an ongoing, you know, from that moment as well. And, And I just wonder whether sort of looking back, do you think at times it was challenging for people to check in or, or ask how you were doing? Not because they didn't want to, but sometimes I think we're concerned that it's too much to ask someone. It's, it's just too raw. Do you think that was the case at times for, for people? 100%, yeah. And there are some helpful things you do, but in some ways it's pretty simple. Again, growing up in my family and community, you go to funerals. If someone passes away and you can, if it's at all possible to get there, you go, right? That's, that was a big lesson from my mum. I found it the same. And a lot of us are stumped by, but what do you say? Well, you don't have to. Being there's enough. And if you're after something to say, it's a no-brainer. I'm so sorry. That's enough, you know? And I can tell you from personal experience, that's enough. And on the, the other side of things, People, do you worry about it? You know, or gee, what can I say? Or, um, you know, don't. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And other people I've heard say, oh, I don't like going to funerals. No one likes going to funerals. Just do it. It's a duty thing. And it's easy to do. Just rock up. But I've got to tell you, you've got no idea of the effect of comfort. And, you know, whether it's a signing the book or, and it seemed a bit whatever at the time, but we videoed Bernadette's funeral. We look back on it and you see people you didn't know, you can't remember being there. And so when my dad passed away, that was one tip. And mum, I think, has worn out the tape. It's just because you revisit the the special moments. But, yeah, it is hard, though, you know, right? And there are some people who didn't respond and don't respond. And it's a bit bit sad because you kind of, you lose touch with them. And, again, you don't need to be ringing up with any wisdom or suggestions or the worst kind of stuff, saying they're in a better place. No, they're not. I want them here. You know what I'm saying, that. Yes, yeah, I you do. know, look, like, they're kind of like the, again, you can just ring up and say good day. And I've learnt that from mates like Jimmy and my mate John Watkins, who's um, a dear friend from teaching days, who's involved in lots of things. And 
you know, when I flew from Sydney, he drove me to the bush. It's guys like that who ring you. And I know the difference between that, between getting an SMS or an email or a letter and a card, and they're nice. But there's nothing like a human voice. So I've often, I've in recent weeks, there's a mate of mine who's, his child is very sick, and I just put it in my diary, ring him. And we don't <laughs> do not speak in any profound way. I just ask how he's going, da da da, and that's what we should all do: respond. Yes, yes, and something as you say, so powerful about the voice that goes beyond other means of communication. Yeah, and there's a bunch of us, you know, mates of mine that are of a certain age, and in the pre-lockdown time. It started off, I was walking with one of them. There's now like three mates of mine who we walk together Saturday morning and have Brecco together, all that kind of stuff. And we just yap about football, mm. wrestling in the 1960s, you name it, politics, of course, right? You, oh, know, cool. and, rah, 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 you know, and it's just good for us physically and just getting together. You know, sometimes, particularly if it's one-on-one, they can be deep things and, and so on. But just sometimes going out together, going to, to whatever it is, the cafe, the football, going for a walk, that type of stuff. And, and it, it can be nothing more than that. But, yeah, I found that helpful for myself, let alone the other guys. Yes. Oh, no, those catch-ups are just so key. As you say, sometimes it can just be about day-to-day things, but then there's that moment that yeah. someone can say, actually, I need to, to, need to share something more, uh, more significant. Yes. Now, Paul, I know that um, from Cockroaches, your musical career then moved into another direction with the Wiggles. And in 1997, you became the manager for the Wiggles. And from some of the conversations I've shared with you, I had a sense that in the early days it was about, particularly in your role as manager, convincing others that this, you know, very unique concept would work. And and from those days, it just grew from strength to strength. What what were some of those early years like for you? Yeah, well, as I mentioned before, you know, if we love something, we do it. And Anthony started a degree in early childhood studies and was actually enthralled by early childhood music. And I've since witnessed it, you know, with the Wiggles and so on. But, you know, in my case, in our case, collectively, there's something of the divine in music. It's, you know, or magic, whatever adjective you want to use, but seriously, and he studied that and I hadn't studied it. So I didn't have that same amazement at the power of early childhood music. So much so that at a cockroaches meeting, he said, we should do an album of children's music. Which <laughs> at the time was saying, let's build a rocket ship and fly to Perth, right? You know, and like, what? You know, and, yeah, you know, like you're bloody mad, right? You know, it's not what we do, not what, who we are, da da da. But again, that was meant to be. Because the cockroach has you know, taken off, and so he deferred his course. And after Bernadette's death, Anthony was like the canary in the mine and said, this isn't fun anymore. It's just hard. I want to go back to uni and finish my degree, which at the time was hard for me to hear, you know. Yes. Um, we worked around his availability, but he finished his course. And then to help him get a job as a teacher, that's why he recorded the first Wiggles album. He had mates from university. Yeah. And Jeff, who was the keyboard player for the Cockroaches, in a famous line, <laughs> Jeff's always doing up his house, right? And uh, Anthony said, hey, mate, I'm doing some recording. Can you come on down and help out on the keys? And he went, sure. How long is this going to take? 
anyway. Uh, <laughs> so he made an album of kids' music, which, again, great thought, right? And it did help him get a, a job as a preschool teacher. So he actually taught at Temple Emmanuel in, in the eastern suburbs, a, a Jewish preschool. And same thing again, once he's into something, he loves it. So he loved the Jewish faith, which has a lot of similarities to the Catholic faith, you know, family, community, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and the songs and all that. Anyway, so the next step was, well, I've got this music background and we've had success. Why don't I try and get this album released? So he went to the ABC and, and again, my mother, if she's narrating now, she'd be going, it's the Holy Spirit, right? But anyway, I'll just yeah. say <laughs> there's no such thing as coincidence. That I do know. And, it, and for every success, there's got to be a bit of luck. So Anthony and the guys take the, the tape, as it would have been in those days, of their album to the ABC, ABC Music. And the woman who had literally started that week, her name is Meryl Gross. She'd worked at the record company that had distributed the cockroaches. So she knew Anthony and Jeff. And in her brain was going, well, these guys have had success. You know, a couple of them have. And, of course, they recognised that they were unique and signed them. Now, had she not been working there, they mightn't have got signed. What a day. What a day. And and so the next step, of course, because of the background and the 10 years of experience that he had was we should do gigs. Well, there's no early childhood. Well, well there wasn't an early childhood circuit. So they said, let's go to an agent. So they went to a theatrical agent, did a bit of a show and tell, um, literally sung the songs, had a folder like zealous uni students would. You know, here's the educational background behind it, were inclusive, all those kind of things that you should be. And the theatrical booking agent went, look, that's fantastic, but I've got to tell you, there'd be no money in it for me and absolutely no money in it for you. And the kind of overriding theme these knockbacks were actually helpful because they had no choice to go, we just got to do this ourselves. And the experience that Anthony and Jeff had had, uh, and Murray and Greg to some extent, in bands went, well, we'll just put our own show. Let's get a little vocal system, da-da-da. And they started playing just parties and preschools and so on. And so for a number of years, they built it up and it grew and grew and grew. Because as parents, we all know, like if you're local preschool, if you're going to raise money, it might be you do a cake stall or a fete. Man, oh, man, that's a lot of work. And sometimes that's good. It's a good community yes. get-together. But there's a lot of work for sometimes a little return, right, you know. Whereas what we, they did in the early days would say, look, and I'll pick numbers out of the air, but, it, you know, we'll come and perform at your preschool, charge five bucks a ticket, you get a buck per ticket, and that's it. So really simple. They yeah. don't need to do anything. Of course, they would do it. It was easy. The kids loved it and thought, man, that was good. When can you come back, right? And that's the very, the most humble of beginnings for a group. And they built it and built it and built it. And, of course, Anthony had an idea, and he's had a few good ones over the years, as you may pick up. Having had this album, and, again, in the Cockroaches days, we did, like, oh, perhaps 15 film clips, and you'd spend days shooting a clip. And there'd be people and caterers and wardrobe, God knows, you know, how many people. A big production and cost a lot, which you would eventually pay for. And he said, you know what? We've got this album of music. Why don't I make a full-length, like, 40-minute video of every song on the album? Now, I want to pause and point out, at this stage, no one had done this before. I mean, no one, right? Recent years, Beyonce, the wonderful African-American singer, did, I think it was her Lemonade album, and did a whole video of every song on the album. And people rightfully called her a genius. I just want to point out Anthony in the early 90s did that. Had done that? 
<laughs> but they created the genre, you know, which people in early childhood particularly, um, you would come up with them, people would expect to see the video of it, right? And so they built themselves up by about the mid-90s to be the biggest selling artist on ABC Music and Video. And in all genres, we're the biggest selling artists on music and video. And so they eventually got a meeting with some people at TV and they essentially wanted to change them. We'll get you in shorts and wearing caps. And it's like, no, 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 no. To their credit, though, they actually gave it a shot, looked at the result and went, that's not us. And so we made our own TV. And by this stage, I had come on board and I would brief the producers and the directors and so on. And it worked well. And the point of me coming on as manager, the biggest thing was I'd lived the ups and downs and boy, they're ups and boy, they're downs. And the entertainment industry and rock and roll particularly, it's a corrupt industry. There are people who are literal liars and thieves, right, you know. And so trust is, is in short supply. So we worked with people we did trust who were honest and the rest of it and good. There's a lot of the other around you. So when Anthony got the band up to a certain stage, at one stage there, he then asked me to manage them. And the biggest part of that was he could trust me, yes. you know, that I was honest, am honest. And also I had a decade of experiences where he'd know and I would know, okay, we're not going to do that. I know how that turns out. <laughs> I've yes. been in this rodeo before, right? you know. And so that's how we began. And then, of course, I then began the job and role of, well, many things, but selling them the good thing was and and again it to me it was easy because there was nothing like them they they were great they wrote great melodies and my brother john helped them out there as well um they had an early childhood background there was nothing like them i thought they were great and that helps the sell job if it's oh, absolutely if it's real. when you're passionate about it and you believe in it yeah and we so we developed great success in australia and you know we did our own tv and it cost us but in the end, that was okay. And the lessons I'd learned you know, in the decade with the cockroaches was if there's a legal question, get a lawyer. If it's consumer products, get an expert. And that worked well for us and, and protected us over the years. And then we thought, let's try for overseas. And we did a promotion with the Disney Channel here in Australia, which was very successful. Then they did a, we actually got to play in Disneyland and they filmed it for content. And so then began the pitch to overseas companies and particularly in the US. And we, as I do, <laughs> sound very Australian, right? <laughs> there's, there's no hiding that, right? You know? And for people of my vintage, remember the first Mad Max movie that came out. When it was released in the America, it was it had subtitles. Oh, and is that right? <laughs> seriously, right? You know? And and, you know, we grew up watching American shows, so we're tuned into their, their, their accents and yes. their various accents, you know. So I remember meeting with a, a company after we performed in Disney and a Dallas-based company called Lyric Studios who had Barney the Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. And they loved us, actually. They really loved us. But we're, in our initial discussions, we're saying, and they got all the early childhood part of it, but they said, we're just worried because you sound so Australian. We don't know where to work. And... One thing I'd learned from the Murray, Greg and Anthony, who were early childhood trained, is that, you know, most of our audience is pre-literal and a lot of their meaning is in context. And, you know, and, and so they didn't see an accent being a problem. And as I used to say to the Americans, hey, listen, 
I've spoken to someone from Boston, and I've got to tell you, it's like those speaking in Tennessee, uh, it's like another country to LA as well. And they got that point. So I said, look, I could talk to Long Blue in the face, but the punchline is play these tapes, the videos for children in the preschool and then come back to me. And that's what they did and went, wow, okay, it works. And I should point out at this stage, Thomas the Tank Engine, which was a huge early childhood show at the time, the suits that had this common wisdom at the time, said it won't work, it's too English, we need to dub the voices in American voices, right? And I should point out from a, a position of outrage here, the person narrating Thomas the Tank Engine at the time was Ringo Starr. Oh, my. <laughs> a beetle. And one would suggest oh. he'd had a bit of success in America prior to that. But that's where sometimes in, in the business world in life where you actually know, even though these people are the experts and they're telling you this won't work or this will work, it's like, no, 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 we will. And the irony of that is even business-wise, and certainly in entertainment is, once you're signed and they then distribute you, and particularly in the world's biggest market, the US, right, you then have to normally spend a fortune making yourself stand out from the rest of the pack. Whereas <laughs> sounding like Yobbo Wazzies as we do, we stood out instantly. There was that point of difference already. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, so it got convinced. And, and it was interesting. Our success over there was very real. And because what they were doing was good. It was unique. Yes. And one of the breakthrough moments, we we actually, you know, they had a good mantra at, at Lyric there, and we're very lucky to be with them, that said, with the Wiggles, if they see them, they'll love them. Kind of like that baseball movie, if you build yes. it, they will come. Right. Anyway, we got the support for Barney the Dinosaur at Radio City Musical in New York, right? And it sounds like a bit of a spinal tap moment, which is a, a, a satirical rock film, where the Wiggles were coming on at intermission. <laughs> it sounds like oh, what? <laughs> that's a dead gig, isn't it? It's like, no, no, no. But as we know, if you've had children work with, with little ones, if you're set and they're watered and fed and happy, you're not going to move from your seat. No, no movement. You're happy, right? Really so, necessary. Yeah. <laughs> so in the season that we did with them, it was quite a few weeks, we, we and Barney performed to 60,000 people. And they loved what they saw with the Wiggles and they'd never seen it before. So what they did, like good Americans, was try to buy them on video. We are in like boutique retail, like FAO Schwartz, Zany Brainy, Noodle Kadoodle, and they couldn't be bothered with that. So they went online, good on you. Mm -hmm. And the weeks after we'd performed with Barney at Radio City, we had two video titles in the top 10. And someone at Walmart, in brackets, the world's biggest retailer, whose job it is to have what people are after, said, who the hell are the Wiggles and why don't we have them? And that's um, simplistically stating, but kind of true, that's how we broke Walmart. And then the next step was Disney. And, you know, because this is entertainment history that we were a part of. And we got to the stage where they also believed in what we did because they tested it. So that we went from, in the States, playing like church halls and small theatres in Hoboken, New Jersey, you know, whatever, to within a few years, selling out 11 shows at Madison Square Garden Theatre and doing the Macy's Parade. And the great thing about that was this success was, you know, was based on not hype, it was real. What they were offering was good, you know, early childhood based and, and different. And, and again, 
we were authentic. We weren't written by a scriptwriter. You couldn't make it up. And Anthony would often say it uh, with deep respect to all of them. If they auditioned for the parts, they probably wouldn't have got it. You know, <laughs> wow. they were mates. It was yes. that Aussie thing again. Yes. They were mates at uni. Oh, it's one I just love hearing that story and and as you said like even in the states it was evidently motivated by the response from the young people I mean they were moving that way because these young people were saying these little toddlers saying we love it and yes it, it's, it's interesting in entertainment particularly and I mean editors film crew soundies all that kind of stuff there seems like a tear of of integrity or impressiveness you know and you know if I've worked on a feature film than he Whereas I'm working on a kid, a thing for kids, like it's something lesser, right? Which clearly is anathema to us. But also, if anyone kind of raised such a, a comment or whatever, I'd, I'd say, hey, mate, just for a sec, just so you know what you're dealing with here, our audience is actually the purest audience on the planet. So, for example, if I we go to see a theatre show, my wife and I, in the days when they were little, you would buy the ticket, arrange a babysitter, go out for dinner, pay for parking, I'm, I'm invested. I'm, no matter what it's like, I'm going to say it was a good night. Yes. <laughs> With little ones, they have no such ideas. They either dig it or they walk, right? So it's actually the most honest audience on the planet. And that's also why the, I think the Wiggles were so good. They played so much. They would get all this feedback. And, and after every show, Anthony would go, hey, you know what, that song didn't work. How about we cut out that middle bit? When you come on for that song to the dancers, you were too slow. How about you come on from the other side? He reviews after everything. And I think there's a good lesson in everything about that is no matter how successful, can it be done better? And again, what drove everything there was what they learned at university, which was what is the child going to get out of this? And and also every gig they would do, particularly as, as they became popular, which was pretty quickly, in every town, they would meet children with additional needs or children that were ill and so on, which was also wonderful uh, work that they did. It's off the radar, totally. But what I learned from that was, again, back to music. And I mentioned before the, the adjective magic or, to me, that part of the divine. The Wiggles, I should say, have fans of all ages and people who are on the spectrum uh, of autism where it depends on where they're at, the world is quite fearful. They find joy in some things, and that was the punchline. Music, for a lot of them, was the key. Yeah. And, and it was amazing to watch. Like I say, transformative in the literal sense. You know, we met oh, parents of, of, of children who were nonverbal, but the Wiggles was what they, you know, they got something out of it. And, yes. and, and, and joy and connection. Yeah, they, yeah, that's it, you know. So, yeah, it was, it's, it's fascinating to be a part of that and I learned so much. Yeah. Paul, evidently you experienced great success overseas when you talked about the States and you linked up with many Australian artists, Kylie Minogue, oh, yeah. Steve Irwin, Jimmy Barnes, Keith Urban, to name a few. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder, Paul, in all of that, did you ever find that when you were achieving great success people are, are less inclined to check in with, you know, that you're okay because of that success? There's a uh, presumption yeah. that you are? Yes, actually very true. And there's a few things about those wonderful stars as they were. It's at the end of the day, they're a mum or a dad or an auntie or an uncle or a carer or whatever. And it's funny, like, I mean, you know, 
from Kylie. I, I remember she was doing a tour of Australia and she gave an interview for Weekend Magazine and she said uh, her brother had had a, a, a baby. She said, oh, I should do something with the wiggles, jugging. Uh, and my wife pointed that out to me. I went, ooh. So I rang a manager yeah. and said, hey, she said this. And he kind of laughed about it. And I said, just to let you know, we're here. You know, she does the gates open kind of thing. And he rang me back a few days later and went, I did actually ask and she wants to, right? you know. So that's a real, yeah, and that's a really interesting thing to see. Where same with Keith, you know, Keith Urban and his kids and so on. And some of these people we'd met way before. But once you're a parent or an auntie or an uncle, it changes the, the, the thing. And they're my most surreal moment as far as celebrities go, you know, in, in New York City where Jerry Seinfeld would come to our shows and it's a currency uh, celebrity in America particularly. And we'd turn up for like to perform on the Today Show and he'd be there with his kids. It's like, how did this happen? <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> but he was great and, 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 and it was funny actually um, – I remember I filmed a lot of what happened and he was backstage and he was talking to, to Anthony, I was filming, and he went, you know, I think, actually it was after that and we were chatting and, and he said, you know, I think I know the word to every Wiggle song. And I didn't say to him because I couldn't resist and I said, mate, I think I know the word to every Seinfeld episode <laughs> as well. <laughs> but anyway, they were one, it was wonderful to meet these people as parents and carers and so on. But you're right, they are also real people. They also go through tough things even though their success you know as the cliche sounds you know it's you know you, you can be very successful but profoundly unhappy not that these people are necessarily so but you know that and it's interesting like just to bring it down to real brass tacks in my years between the band and the wiggles and i did all sorts of things i, I worked at the supreme court for a few years i worked at the royal commission of inquiry um, for a few years but when i was at the courts i was working at the courts doing band thing and stacking shells at Woolworths, right? Because I had kids, I had to, had to pay bills, right? You know, and I'd do anything. And I remember <laughs> the band would be on the midday show, which was a, a, a national variety show, literally started at midday every day. So it was a good show to be on if you're in a band, you've got great exposure. But you didn't get paid much, It was, but it was great exposure and good to do. And that night I was unloading the truck and stacking shells at Woolies. As a girl, there, a woman working with me there went, what the hell are you doing here? I saw you on TV today. <laughs> and it was hard to explain. Success you can have in Australia can mean you have a good year. If you had the same success in America, that means, you, you know, if you're smart, you've got your house, you're happy for life kind of thing. And even that was fascinating to see. And I find it funny. Other people would find that very hard to handle. You've been on TV and radio and whatever else it is, and now you're not, or now you're doing something else. I had no problem with it, but for a lot of people, it is problematic. And, yeah, you're right. It, it, I guess because you are doing great things, you know, and fun things doesn't mean you're not real and you, you don't have real problems. Paul, as we know, the Wiggles has had a remarkable impact on young people in Australia and all over the world. Yeah. And, and I've also seen over the time that, that it has evolved with new material and new members yeah. of the team. And, and I imagine these changes we're not always easy, like any changes that we, we face. What helped you and, and, and I suppose the group navigate these changes? I mean, I know we do it personally, but how, how did you, because you have evolved over the years. Yeah, they, they have as a group. I think that's the starting point to point out. They're a group, a musical group. They're not formed by a corporation. They're not actors hired to do a role. 
even though they play characters, you know. So there are things that have kept them together. Not many anything lasts for 30 years, let alone a band, you know. And that uniting thing is their early childhood background. Three of them went to Macquarie University, and that's the core of their appeal. And the confluence of that and good music and so on. And so it was a real challenge, like In Excess without Michael Hutchins, The Stones without Jagger, you know, would it work? Probably not, you know, or not to the same extent. Whereas with early childhood, there's a new audience every 18 months that's born. Now you've got to engage them. But, you know, my beautiful granddaughter that's four months old, when she gets into early childhood, there'll be very different people from around, you know, from, from many years ago. So we learned that is that, you know, you can change the lineup, but as long as you keep the core appeal and recognise what that is, then you, you, you can be safe. And you're right, people don't like change. And, you know, they organically started. So there were blokes, mates at uni, you know, and so on. And, uh, and we did have female characters like Dorothy and, and others and, um, and real human female characters in the group. But eventually, you know, eight or nine years ago, we had our first female wiggle. And there were notes of complaint that's you know the wiggles should be all men's like and i've got to tell you shockingly they were from women those notes which stumps me but anyway every time we've there was a, a new iteration of the group we were starting again and i say we purely because representing them with sponsors retailers broadcasters it was back to square one and a lot of them would say I don't know if this is going to work. Mm. So we had to prove ourselves. And the best way we did was obviously content that streamed or broadcast with channels. But the main thing was on the ground, the grassroots audience. And it was was fascinating to observe. And, and again, it wasn't easy, but you know, we've been able to review. And I think that's the important thing. You know, and Anthony does it after every show. But if you're going to say, what are we doing? Is it right? How do we need to change? Uh, there's a woman, Dr. Kath Warren, who lectured the guys at university. We used her for all the time I was there as a consultant. She would turn up to shows with her grandkids and so on. And it was fantastic because once a teacher, right? And she'd come backstage and, you know, how's that, Kath? Oh, it was great. I thought in this bit. <laughs> you need those people, don't you, Paul? You need oh, those people. And, and, and as successful as they had been, and they'd done everything by this stage, right, she was always right, right? It was great to hear that. And I don't know what stage this was, but I can remember Anthony said, you know, he always, he's, he's great, that's why it evolves, right? So the show you see at the start of the tour will be different by the end. And he'll try stuff on stage. So you need to have your act together. Right? And he enjoys it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Anyway, he had this thing uh, during the show where he went, it's wiggly question time. And he go, you know, da-da-da, ask us a question, whatever else. And it sunk like a Led Zeppelin. And Kath was at that. No, no, she wasn't at that show, but she was at a couple of shows later. And Anthony said to her, Oh, I tried this new routine. I thought it would be great because we'd lead it to this, blah, blah, blah. And she went, children don't understand what a question is, right? And he went, you're right, because what would happen is, what's your question? And they'd say, I'm four. I've got a cat. I've got my sister, you know, my mum's having a baby, right? And so he changed it. It's wiggly news time. Uh, and it works. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so I guess the punchline there is is that 
you know, they kept to the core of what they were, who they were, but they also did evolve. The society is different now. There are different platforms. But, yeah, you've got to be able to review and take a note yourself. Uh, that's really significant, Paul. I think, as you so beautifully said, it's that that coming back to that core all the time. Who are we? What yeah. do we do? And why are we doing it? And obviously, that that evolves in terms of its expression. But but you you're really very strongly connected to that core purpose and and meaning of what you do, which is yeah. so so. And, key. and we look for people with that approach. Yeah. Uh, in entertainment, there's people who do all sorts of stuff. We need to be selective, though, you know, and we've got a good brand reputation. And in the days when I was there, uh, <laughs> we'd be vigilant about protecting it. There's a lot of things we did way back, which eventually became law in workplaces. No stupid sexism, racism, bigotry, just respect and courtesy for people. Um, creating that, that culture, isn't it, Paul, and being quite explicit is. about it. The, the common element in all this time is... We do it because we enjoy enjoy it, and that should be a big part, finding the joy in what you do, because not every gig's awesome fun. Mm. Stacking shells wasn't awesome fun, but I actually did like it. They were good people I worked with. Um, it was physically good for me. I was unloading. And when I just found what was good and about it. Yes. And it helped me pay my bills. Absolutely, <laughs> Paul, absolutely. <laughs> Paul, I'm really interested because I know that you made a decision early last year after yeah. almost 25 years as the manager of Wiggles to retire from that role and move into a yeah. solo career. Yes. And just at that time, not long after, and I know you mentioned this at the start, COVID was surfacing. Yeah. And like all people in the creative industry, musicians, theatre, this must have impacted some of your plans I wonder if, if you can tell us a bit about that time of transition and the elements that have supported you. I, I know you mentioned Jimmy, which is just such a, mm. must have been a very, you know, significant moment. Yeah, well, I've spoken to a lot of people about this album for obvious reasons to get the word out about it, but you'll hear the, the fuller story just between please, you and me. and else love to hear it. Purely because you've heard my whole story, right? And the big picture is... After nearly 25 years in a job, a job I loved, by the way, and says me, but I, th I think I did it well, you know, and the, the runs are on the board. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I produced like 40 of their videos. Um, we sold 30 million CDs and DVDs, sold the, the new group into 190 countries around the world. So we'd had great success. And the natural evolution of that, as I said, at one stage there, I was producing directing as well as the other roles, their videos and TV. And eventually that gets too hard to do. And eventually also Anthony. Juggling so many things. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And naturally they, the group themselves did more and more of those things, which is great. Part of me is like, oh, <laughs> because I'm missing out on being on I the floor. Know you know? That. I know that too. But that's okay, you know. That role of selling them and representing them in all areas would be there till I cark it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that was always there for me. But. It is a thing about us turning 60 soonish. And the thing that I haven't spoken about elsewhere, but is a very real part of this. And, you know, Bernadette's death triggered a lot of change in my life. And from that, the wiggle, the cockroaches kind of slowly ebbed away. And it, the wiggle started as a result of that. It, no, there's absolute a connection there. Right? Yes, evident. And, and personally, in our family, my older sister, Maria, who was the best of us, like seriously, the smartest, the best of us. 
passed away from cancer uh, in the year prior to COVID. And it was very quick, you know, and she was, you know, speak about my dad. She kind of, if anyone took a, that mantle or that live that uh, life that was her. She was a nurse and a psych nurse for the great majority of her life. She worked out at St. John of God at Richmond and was just the best. Was our best supporter too, you know, and would give you advice, but just in a supportive way and was always there for us. On the day her son got married, she was talking to my my brother and I, uh, Johnny and I, and said out she had some pains, you know, and women who have given birth and, you know, there's all sorts of pain you guys put up with. So it was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, you know, and she, like a nurse also, I'm going to get it checked out soon. Well, it came and basically she had cancer of the gallbladder, which is hard to find. Um, And so within a short period of time, it had spread. And I mean weeks, weeks. And she it basically went to her brain at one stage. So we were visiting her in hospital and she it was like she'd had a stroke. One half of her couldn't move and she could hardly speak. And even then, she was like, what are you doing here? Oh, to my sons, are you going to want to tour? Like, man, if ever there was a time to be selfish, it's now, you know? Mm-hmm. But and and you know, spoke about all of us. So her passing was a moment also of profound effect and she'd only retired the year before and had all these great plans never got to to live the majority of them out you know and having heard what you've heard about my life neither Pauline or I need a tap on the shoulder to say life's short life is precarious do what you can while you can but that was more than a tap on the shoulder that was a kick and I just yeah started to think okay, I, I think it's time to change. And, and even if it's reading or writing or recording or doing some other shows, you know, if I'm going to do something different, now's the time for me to give it a go. Mm-hmm. So like I say, you know, there's the deep push um, for change. And again, within the Wiggles organisation itself, there's profound change and they're always evolving, which is a good thing, you know. Yeah, of course. But, but, but personally, I thought, okay, I'm cool. Best set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, the, as I mentioned before, I made that decision. But it was like a week or so, you know, later, COVID kicks in. Jimmy calls me because to, to his brain, I'm still working for it. And he told me, you know, and then he followed it up. And again, when the first lockdown, there's not much we could do. Um, and so I would exercise. I'd go for long walks. And he called me frequently. What are you doing today, mate? You know, da da da. I'm just this. And what about the recording? What are you doing? You know, and he said, you know, when this is over, because it was kind of temporary compared to now, it was a shorter lockdown. Uh, we're going to get together, and we did, right? And we're going to do stuff. So um, we had, we got together and and had a monumental celebration. Oh. <laughs> and uh, and. <laughs> Uh, and that was great. And and then he also, uh, I come to one of his gigs and afterwards he said, so tell me what you're doing with recording. And I said, oh, look, this is real indulgent, right? I, I just want to do songs I've always loved, you know? And again, this is just for me. Like, nothing might happen with them. I might release it, da, da, da. And, he, and again, he was, this is the kick along. He just went, mate, don't do it. I was going to do an EP, like, like about six tracks. He went, mate, if you're recording, do an album. And we spoke about what songs I was going to do, and he's a real music freak as well. And then he also said, like, you and John, because I said, I'm going to get my brother John to produce it, right? 
So you guys are songwriters. You should, apart from the covers, do a couple of your own. So all great suggestions. And then the clincher was, look, come to my studio. Um, You've got one in Sydney and you can record there. It's like, wow. And this was after a show and we'd had a, a few drinks and, and, and had a bit of a good time after the show. So the next morning we were out of Sydney and uh, we had breakfast together and I thought I'd better check. Yes. <laughs> Even when you said. <laughs> this hour of the morning, I have witnesses, but uh, <laughs> and he laughed and just went, mate, I it's right, you know. So Johnny and I went in and we just got mates and it was just a work of joy. Songs I've always loved and then creating stuff on the, on the spot. And then, of course, I did ask Jimmy, hey, now you're here and you want to sing a song. And, you know, like he's like a musical Tasmanian devil. Like, oh, you know, he would have jumped at it. Uh, oh, yeah, but also he just nails it, right, you know, where he knew the song, but Dylan does a few different versions of this song. So we worked out which version. And then when he came in to do it, and I said to the musos, "You, we need to be ready to rock and roll, literally." <laughs> and he, he, we only sung it through twice. He said, that, "That's enough. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to rehearse." And if you, you hear the song, I do with him. I've heard it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, the two voices together, absolutely yeah. amazing. Well, thank you. And 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 then then other friends. So Casey Chambers is a good mate, and I've made, and I'm a huge fan of both of them oh. but, uh, but we're, we're mates really? and, and yeah and and we, we did a musical trip musical safari through Africa a few years ago with my wife Pauline and myself and a whole bunch of other people and so we got to see her and she'd get me up to sing with them occasionally on out in the Maasai Mara and all this kind of stuff so really really great and so I thought oh, I'll ask her and I actually did it the formal way again back to respect I thought you know I can ring her but I want to give her the the, the out like, yes. if for whatever reason, she yes. just wanted to do it, yes. you know. So if I went through a manager and so I did and I said, look, here's what I'm doing. And I didn't say anything other than I'm just doing some of my favourite songs. Here's a song I've always loved. Casey would just beautifully blend with this for a duet. And a manager said, look, no worries, of course I'll pass this on. Why didn't you ring yourself? But anyway, fine, I'll pass this on to her. And she said, but I've got to tell you, and this was during COVID, she said no to about 100 things, right? I went, fair enough, you know, okay, no worries. But she did came back and said yes. And so, yeah, again, no matter what happened to it, everything else was going to be cream on the cake. And so we, we've got a duet with Casey, with Jimmy and other friends who are great singers and musos. And so we got it out, we, you know, got a, a YouTube channel to help promote it. We did a gig. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it's out. It's out. And Paul, I know you mentioned it's called Love Songs for Lonely People. Can yeah. you tell me about the title? What what drew you to that? What was it about that title that spoke to the album? Yeah, look, my favourite songs, oh, I've got too many favourite songs, but the ones that really cut deep are the ones that ache. And, like, there's a singer called, a country American singer called Graham Parsons who does a duet with, Emmylou Harris called Sleepless Nights. And I've listened to it for 30 plus years and it still gets me, just the ache in their voice and that's the only word for it. So songs like that, um, beautiful love songs. You know, is there such a thing as a, a rare Elvis Presley song? I think there is. And there's a, there's a song he does called They Remind Me Too Much of You, even the title. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and it's short but beautiful. And so I just wanted to do songs like that. And as I spoke to you before, when, 
when all of us are lonely sometimes, right? You know, even if you're, as I'm lucky to have children and a beautiful partner and grandkids and all the rest of it, um, you still can be alone. And at times it's very hard and music may be your mate then. Music may be the thing that can help you and make you feel. So it's a title that speaks to that and I've got to give full credit where it's due. My, my daughter, Claire, uh, is very smart and uh, up with what, what should be and what shouldn't be in the world. She's got a very good sense of justice and right and wrong. So she'll soon let me know if I'm saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, which is in a good way, in a good yeah. way. Yeah. But she also is very creative. Like she was a great dancer and choreographer and all the rest of it. And so when I was talking about the album, she's like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And um, and I played her the song with Casey. <laughs> and as only a daughter can do, she uh, I played it and she went, oh, that's fantastic. She said, is there any way you can just lose your vocals and keep Casey's? <laughs> <laughs> but as she, only she, a daughter could say. Oh, it was funny. She made me laugh. It's which beautiful. Is it's beautiful. Yeah, but, but she came up with the title and I went, that's perfect. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there you go. That's wonderful. I love I love the story. Paul, you, you're a true storyteller. I've just loved listening to your stories and all that you've been through. I, I just wonder, as you look back at all the different ways people have checked in to see that you were okay, yeah. do you feel that there was any way of asking this question that made it easier for you to respond or more comfortable to respond? Only, I suppose, so that we learn from, from that experience. From your experience? Yeah, I, I've been specific with grief and funerals and death. You know, they're very real words. Don't go off in any anger just to acknowledge what's happened is a huge part of it to say you're sorry. But just in the general checkup, as I've said, it's not so much the words. It's just the fact that you've checked sometimes and the way you've checked, you know, um, because social media can be great. It can be the worst thing on the planet. Right. And uh, on the positive side of it, it's wonderful, you know, that you can post or get on someone's feed and go, you know, sorry for what's happened or happy birthday or good on you blokes, whatever it is, you know. So that can be your way of communication and so on. And it's been great. Also, people that I've, I've known a long time ago have been able to come back into your orbit, you know. So I'm a bit short on the actual words, but as I've kind of shown through example, I think in my case, um, whether it's a phone call, and I think verbally and in a real sense, so much of our existence is virtual now. And, you know, you could spend a whole day without actually talking to someone. You've messaged them perhaps, but it's very different. Uh, I'm a a visual thing, so it's great to be able to see you as I talk to you, you know. And, you know, I need notes around me sometimes. Okay, I need to do that or whatever it is. And same with with getting on in life now. I'm much better in person. Um, I'll get more out of it in person, you know, or, or um, to hear someone. No, I think it's... It's, it's, it's from what you say, it's that, that effort, that gesture of connection and sometimes the extent or the length of the words doesn't matter, but it's that check-in. How are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, very much so, absolutely. And, and also, and you can only imagine, something I have to work on still, and one day I'm going to mature and get good at things, but 
is listening more. And says me having rabbited on to you. Oh, and it's been amazing. But amazing. you are. So Absolutely. I've been, been but, loving it. But it is seriously something I need to work on. And my wife and I, before we go to parties and counsel about it, is, 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 is to do that because there's always news and we're always excited to talk. But, you know, after 30 minutes about talking about my granddaughter, probably should can it, all right? You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, and, and we're all guilty of that. And it's just being aware. And once you are, you think, okay, and there's some good examples of mates of mine and others and, and journalists, dare I say, who some of the best listen, you know? And so that's one thing I would throw out that you can do, ironically, says me. But, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. There's... It's very powerful words, Paul. And Paul, I just can't thank you enough. It has been <laughs> such uh, such a joy. Thank you for for sharing your story. And, and and as I'm sure you know from your own experience, there's there's power in sharing the story. Yeah. And I've just I've learned so much from from you. And I know that our listeners will have learned so much from from today's conversation. So thank you for your your authenticity, for your groundness, for your generosity and for, for sharing your story. It is one that I will treasure and I know that so many people will carry with them beyond the listening of it today. So thank you very, very much, Paul. Can't thank you enough. And I wish you the best. I, I, I look forward to, to hearing more of your music over the years to come. Congratulations on your album. And I'll share more details at the end of this podcast, but I'm really excited about this next journey and wish you the very, very best. Oh, thanks. And, and I don't know what's ahead of me. It's actually pretty cool that I don't. So who knows, you know? Uh, I've got no problem with whatever comes. Yeah, good on you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining our program today. I am so very grateful to Paul Field for sharing his story in support of Are You OK Day. For music buffs like myself, we are able to hear and enjoy the great songs from Paul's new solo album entitled Love Songs for Lonely People, on Paul Field's official YouTube channel. If you would like to take some time now or in the future to enjoy some treasured stillness, a meditation called A Meditation for Centering and Connection is now available and is entitled Meditation 28. Take care over these coming weeks and I look forward to being with you next time.